0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast. My name is Zach Kroll, I am your host, and this is the show where we talk all things college basketball. And today is Monday, November 13th, which reminds me that we already have been through one full week of the 2023-2024 college basketball season. And only seven days in, I feel like I've watched a lot of basketball but also not a lot at the same time because we know it's a long season ahead and everything that we think we know right now, that's going to keep changing. There's a good chance we're going to think much differently the more we watch these teams, especially in the bigger marquee games. And this is why Friday night, it was just such a loaded slate of basketball. It was really the first night of the season where we got to see a lot of these teams that we've been talking about throughout the offseason, play in a marquee game against marquee opponents, and we have things to react to. It was great uh last Monday watching USC and Kansas State, watching Baylor and Auburn last Tuesday, along with some of the other notable games and along with some of the o- other surprising results, and we had plenty of those throughout this past weekend as well that we are going to get into. But Friday night was just must-see TV, a handful of really really good games featuring really, really good teams. And the number one, of course, the main event was the battle between number 12 Arizona and number two Duke, the Wildcats going into Cameron Indoor Stadium and handing Duke a loss. In my opinion, that probably is the biggest most notable marquee win of Tommy Lloyd's tenure since he arrived in Tucson. I know that Arizona has had very successful regular seasons over the course of Of the last two years, they earned a number one seed in the NCAA tournament two years ago. They earned a number two seed in the big dance last year. We do know that Arizona has had a little bit of trouble breaking through of March, most notably losing in the first round to Princeton last year, a number 15 seeded Princeton team. But I think after this offseason, and especially after watching them on Friday night against Duke, we should start taking this Arizona team a lot more seriously. They are now up to number three in the AP poll following this win. What a performance that was! So, credit to Tommy Wood, credit to Arizona. We're going to get into the specifics of that game a little more a little bit later, but there were a ton of other things that really stood out for me this weekend that we'll get into. It was another tough weekend, another tough couple day stretch for another conference. Uh, We spoke a little bit about this particular conference in the first episode after the season started, which aired last Tuesday. If you listen to that, you know exactly who I'm talking about. We're going to get into that. There were also a couple West Coast teams that were ranked in the top 25, specifically West Coast teams that aren't in the Pac-12 that dropped games in somewhat surprising fashion. And besides the Duke-Arizona game, I don't think there was really one major story storyline like one major headline that really stood out to me so I'm going to talk a little bit rapid fire mode like we did a last episode on some other things that really stood out to me over the course of this past weekend you guys know there's so many teams in the sport sometimes it could just be hard to talk about uh, I don't even want to say all of them but most of them were just any of the intriguing things that happened uh, in full detail. There are just so many teams that would be impossible. So I'll give you some quick thoughts on a couple more other uh, noticeable results that took place over the course of this weekend. But well, We have to start of course, with number 12 Arizona going into Cameron indoor stadium and handing number two Duke, their first loss of the season. And Again, I have to give Tommy Lloyd credit to start. He's done a really good job within his first two years in Tucson, but I felt like he was lacking a little bit that marquee win to just say, you know what, we're here, and this is going to be my biggest win I've had so far. And that's exactly what he was able to do on Friday night, going into Duke and getting the victory. And to have this win so early in the season, I think is very important for Arizona because – I was feeling pretty down about this Wildcat program, not going to lie to you guys, after they lost as a number two seed in the opening round of the NCAA tournament to Princeton a season ago. That was a game they had no business losing. And it was very evident from early on in that game, if you remember, that Arizona, they took Princeton lightly. They didn't come into that game expecting any challenges. They just expected to show up. This is the team. That won the Pac-12 tournament last year. They had a really good regular season going uh, toe-to-toe with UCLA in terms of uh, the regular season conference. But Arizona last year, the way their season ended, I felt like it was very important for them to go into this year and start off strong. And that is easier said than done because Arizona, this is not a team that returned their whole roster from last year, right? They lost to Tubelis, who was one of the best players in the Pac-12, one of the best players in all of college basketball. They lost Kirk Caruso, who I think long-term is going to end up, it's, it's going to end up being the right decision that those two sides decided to split and go their own separate ways, kind of like Caleb Love and uh, North Carolina. But I do think, that having a guy like Tylen Boswell, who is just very in control of the game and you feel like has a very high basketball IQ for such a young player, I think having the ball in his hands was, is going to uh, age really well for this Arizona team. And I thought he was phenomenal on Friday night against Duke. I think he had a legitimate argument to be the best player on the floor in that game. He played 33 minutes, 12 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists on 4 of 7 from the field. He also went two of two from the free throw line, two of four from three. I remember watching this kid late last year when Tommy Lloyd kind of gave him a little bit of a bigger role, started to trust him a little bit more. And when Kirk Creason decided to leave the Arizona program this past offseason and enter the transfer portal, that was one loss I didn't particularly feel like would kill Arizona that much. I was a little bit more worried about two bellas. and also the fact that this team just has a lot of new players, right? They have a lot of key transfers and to win a game like this so early in the season with so many new players, it's not easy. And the fact that they were able to do that is just so, so big. Those transfers included Keshah Kish- uh, Johnson from San Diego state. He played really well on Friday uh, on both sides of the ball finished with 14 and eight and also played really good defense down the stretch, hit a couple big shots down the stretch. Umar Balo, uh, he was one of the returners. That's a really nice duo in the front court that I think, especially defensively, the duo of Johnson and Balo fit together much better than Tubelis and Balo did just because Johnson is so big, he's so lengthy, and he gives you an elite defender that could switch a little bit in those pick and rolls especially. And then Caleb Love, you got to give the guy credit. We all know what happened to him Over the course of the last three years, two years, we know how much success he's had in his career going up against Duke, especially playing at Cameron Indoor Stadium. And the thing that really stood out to me about Love in this game, which was really the question about him going to Arizona this offseason to begin with, was would he change his style and would he just continue to shoot the ball way more than he should have with poor shot selection? And that wasn't the case at all on Friday night. I thought all the shots he took were in rhythm. I thought he really tried hard on defense, which was something that he didn't always do during his time at North Carolina, which is a positive. That's great. You can see he's bought in and he wants to play for Tommy Lloyd and this Arizona team. He hit the big uh, buzzer beater shot at the end of the first half uh, from a couple feet behind the three point line that really let Arizona come into the second half with some momentum. That was really good to see. Jaden Bradley, who is a former top notch recruit uh, from Alabama, there were. Uh, when he decided to come to Arizona this offseason, I thought it could be a move that would work out. But at the same time, I didn't know what exactly his role would be. He played 22 minutes off the bench in this game as uh, Arizona six man. I don't think he had any, uh, he had any problem with that role. Pella Larson, uh, he's one of the other returners. He uh, scored 12 points. He played pretty well in this game, 27 minutes. And the fact that all five of Arizona starters, right? Johnson, Balo, Love, Boswell and Larson all scored in double figures. That's really impressive. And this Arizona team, they just have more fight to them. I know Tommy Lloyd mentioned this uh, post game. They have more dog in them. And that's a great, great sign because we know this team has plenty of talent. And the fact that they were able to go on the road to Cameron so early against the Duke team, that's really the opposite of Arizona, right? In the sense that they have a couple new freshmen, sure, but they don't really have a lot of transfers, right? The, the, the core nucleus of this Duke team are all guys that have played together before this year. And that's why they were ranked so high going into the preseason. Not only were they talented, but they also had continuity, that core group of philipowski and Proctor and Roach and Mark Mitchell. They all played together last year under John Shire. And I thought in the second half Duke played really well. The second half of this game was It really felt like an NCAA tournament game. I know that's crazy to say so early on in the season, but Duke, after falling behind eight at the end of the first half, really did a good job fighting back in the second half. And I do think there are some concerns for Duke coming out of this game, but overall, I wouldn't say I'm particularly concerned. I still think they're a legit top five, top 10 team that should be the favorites in the ACC uh, when it's all said and done, when we enter conference play. But that was more about Arizona and the fact that With the way last season ended, it was very important for them to come into this year with a sense of urgency. And I do think the way this Arizona team is built, especially with Boswell, having the ball in his hands just really, really makes me feel better about Arizona and their ceiling and long-term upside when we get to the month of March. It all starts at the point guard position, right? Anyone who watches or follows college basketball, they know. Learn more at marines.com. How important the point guard position is. I feel like Arizona fans experienced that again last year with Kurt Creasa. He had some games where he looked like one of the best point guards in the country. He'd just be going off and he would make the game look so easy, but then there were other games where he would struggle and sometimes his offensive struggles would affect him on the defensive side of the ball. He would have trouble moving on from plays. I just think, when you're trying to win games, you need a point guard that is not only cool, calm, and collected, but also moves on to the next play very quickly. You can't hold a grudge against yourself if you mess up on one side of the ball. You can't let that affect you on the other side. And I think with Kylan Boswell, he knows like when he makes mistakes, he can't let that affect the next possession. And he always just gives me the vibe of just a stone-cold stone cold killer. I feel like every shot he makes is a big one. He hit a number of those shots on Friday night that really silenced the crowd. And I'm telling you, Hyland Boswell and Tommy Lloyd deciding to give him all the trust and put the ball in his hands is going to be one of the better decisions Arizona uh, uh, and this basketball program has made in a long time. I I think that's going to be a great, great call. I really like the way this team fits together with a lot of depth in the backcourt around Boswell, around a veteran player, in Pell Larson, plus two new transfers in Love and Bradley. And then in the front court, Johnson and Balo. I really like the way those guys blend together with one of them in Johnson uh, being really big and switchable on the defensive side of the ball. And then Balo is very skilled on the offensive side. He's not really a, a true rim protector, despite how big he is. But man, Umar Balo and Keshaw Johnson, that is a legit front court. I was also really impressed with the young player for Arizona, KJ Lewis, He only played 14 minutes in this game, but really made his impact known. Six points, three rebounds, two assists on three of four from the field. And then the other freshman, Motajis Krivas, I believe uh, uh, I pronounced his name correctly, Krivas, the big seven footer. He gave Arizona some good minutes uh, when Ballo came off the floor. And even though Arizona has had two really good teams the last two years that have earned a number one and a number two seed in the NCAA tournament, I think long-term, this team might be the best one, which is a great, great sign for Arizona fans. And the other good thing about Tommy Lloyd and this Arizona team that I really appreciate, and I know that he got this from his mentor in the coaching industry, Mark Few, is that Arizona, really since Lloyd took over, is never afraid to play big games in the non-conference portion of their schedule. They're going to face Michigan State on Thanksgiving That game is going to be must-see TV. We know despite Spartans opening night loss to James Madison, they were a team voted into the preseason top five for a reason. Arizona will also have a home game against Wisconsin. They will also take on Purdue on a neutral court in Indiana uh, at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. They will take on Alabama as well in Phoenix, which should be a good one. And then, of course, the main event. I don't even want to say the main event, but another – Big game before they start Pac-12 conference play will be against Florida Atlantic, a team that made the final four. That will be in Las Vegas on December 23rd, right before Christmas. So that should be a great game as well. This Arizona team has a ton of talent. I was just curious to see how the pieces looked, especially with so many new ones playing in such a difficult environment. But Arizona passed this test with flying colors. Tommy Lloyd, I understand that it's easy – to hate on the guy a little bit after Arizona lost to Princeton in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. But the decisions he made this off season could really, really, really age well for this Arizona team, which is a great sign going forward. And for Duke, I'm not too concerned. I still think they'll be fine. But one thing I really want to bring up, Duke brought just about everyone back from last year's team, but not everyone, two guys in particular that, they did not return are Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead who entering last season had legitimate arguments as probably the two best high school players in the class of 2023 or 2022 I should say entering 2023 and both of them of course decided to move on and go to the NBA and Lively already has made a big impact for the Dallas Mavericks but that really has forced Duke a little bit to play Kyle Filipowski at the five And I know that Filipowski had very legitimate reason to enter this season as, yeah, probably right up there with Hunter Dickinson, the best returning player in college basketball. After what he was able to do last year, he easily could have went to the NBA after last season. He easily could have been a first-round pick. He decided to come back to school. Credit to him for that, and he played really well on Friday, led the way for Duke with 25-8. and But I'm telling you guys, Duke playing Filipowski at the 5 – is not something that's going to work out going forward. And they're in a little bit of a tough spot without Lively because Ryan Young is good. He's an experienced player. He's a transfer from Northwestern that has played a ton of college basketball. But in crunch time, he's not necessarily someone you're going to want on the floor. And then the other option would be freshman Sean Stewart, who he's had some good moments so far this season. I think long-term, he's going to be a really good player. I just don't know if he's going to be ready necessarily to go into such a big role right away. So that kind of forces John Shire to play Filipowski at the five and these four guards around him. And Tyrese Proctor, he's a guy that had a ton of hype going into the season. I think he's really good, but he didn't play particularly great on Friday night, right? Boswell, the other point guard in the, in the game played much better. Proctor in 38 minutes had eight points, uh, five assists, three of nine from the field. I thought he was fine, but for a guy that entered this season, with a ton of expectations, I expected a little bit more. Mark Mitchell, he's a really good player, probably Duke's overall best defender, and I think there are going to be certain matchups where John Shire might be able to get away with playing a little bit of a smaller lineup with how good and strong he is on the defensive side of the ball, but I'm not sure if it's enough. Jeremy Roach, alongside Filipowski, was the other guy that played really well for Duke. He played 39 minutes, scored 17 points, I thought he was really good in this game, but that is my question for Duke. They have a lot of good young players and a lot of them are guards like Jared McCain. He played 29 minutes in this game, scored nine points. He was fine, but still a younger player getting adjusted to the college game. Caleb Foster, he played 13 minutes off the bench. My question for Duke is how is John Shire going to manage that five position without a true rim protector, without Derek Lively? And is that going to affect Duke on the defensive side of the ball? We know that the Blue Devils have the Champions Classic coming up this week against Michigan State, and this is going to be a very, very intriguing Champions Classic for me. Duke and Michigan State, Kentucky and Kansas, we know that this event is usually must-see TV based on who's playing, but I'm very intrigued by both of those matchups. I'm really excited for that, and I'm curious to see if Sean Stewart plays a little bit more of a role. Christian Reeves is another guy in this freshman class with solid size that I think could maybe make an impact for this Duke team, 7-1, but he only played two minutes in this game, scored three points, had two rebounds. With Balo and Johnson on the other side, it felt to me like Arizona really used their size and their length to their advantage, and they bullied Duke a little bit, which is not necessarily something I expected, but it was clear early on that Arizona was not messing around And I'm very curious to see what John Shire does with this center position going forward. You look at the upcoming schedule for Duke. They have that champions classic game against Michigan state, and then they'll have the other big non-conference game in the ACC SEC challenge at Bud Walton arena. When they go to Fayetteville on November 29th, can't wait for that one, but overall uh, credit to John Shire credit to Tommy Wood, by the way, Duke has a game against Baylor too. That's the other big, non-conference game they have before they start up ACC play but credit to John Shire credit to Tommy Wood for scheduling this game this is a real confidence booster for Arizona I think to give that whole program belief that to say you know what we're really not messing around here we started off our season going into Cameron Indoor Stadium and getting a victory like that wow especially with the way last season ended it was clear to me that this Arizona team has way more fight in them than last year. They have way more dog in them uh, than last year. I think the team fits together much better with Kylin Boswell running things. I think that's a guy you could really rely on. And I'm telling you when we get to the end of the season, he is going to be in the conversation among the best point guards in the country. I know his numbers might not necessarily stand out in a big way. He's not going to average 20 points a game, especially with a lot of the other talent that's around him on this Arizona roster, but he almost reminds me a little bit of Dewan Harris of Kansas, but he could shoot and is just overall, I don't want to say more impactful, but he just makes more big time plays. Kylan Boswell is a really good player. I think he's going to be one of the better point guards in the country by the time this season is all set and done. And Tommy Lloyd deserves a lot of credit for really building the team around him, deciding to move on from Kirk Creesa and that two through five that Arizona has with Caleb Love and Pell Larson and Johnson and Balo, I really like the talent of this Arizona team. And I know it's one game. I'm not trying to go crazy, but I do think there's a good chance that this Arizona team might just be the best of the Wood era, or at least goes on the furthest NCAA tournament run we see we've seen from them in the Wood era. And Caleb Love, man, that had to feel good for him going back to Cameron Indoor Stadium in only his second game. In a wildcat uniform. Fans were all over him from Jump Street. And I'm I'm happy for Caleb Love. He played hard. He played within the game. That was a question going into his new stop at Arizona. But the first big game he played in a wildcat uniform was a massive success. Shout out to Tammy Lloyd. Shout out to Arizona. Bear down. Moving on to the next segment of today's show, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Big Ten. And there is no secret with this conference, right? The Big Ten has not won a national championship since Michigan State in 2000. And this conference, despite being really good in not only the regular season overall, but I would say in non-conference play specifically over the course of the last few years, the Big Ten has done a really good job in that slate, and it's allowed them to get a lot more teams in the NCAA tournament than some of these other power leagues. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because when they get to the tournament, they don't perform. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I entered this season not even feeling like this was finally going to be the year for the Big Ten to break that drought. But I feel like as a conference overall this year, it was a pretty good league with, I don't want to say just better talent overall, but maybe just even better NBA talent like I would say one to eight, one to nine in this league. It was better than years past. And when you go team by team, Purdue, they obviously had a legit case as one of the best teams in college basketball entering this season. They were ranked number three in the AP top 25 to start. Same thing for Michigan State. They were ranked number four. I consider them as not only a legitimate national championship contender, but a team that. I was really considering to pick to win it all. That's how good I felt about Michigan State coming into the season. I feel like in years past, the Big Ten hasn't had two clear-cut like top five, top six, top seven teams that you could just pencil in right away. And I know it's easy to say that Michigan State, they lost to James Madison. They shouldn't even be ranked uh, there to begin with. And when you look at the uh, newest AP top 25, Michigan State did fall all the way to 18 you have Purdue at number two right now behind Kansas but even with those two teams I was higher on Ohio State than most going into the season despite how poorly they played last year and I still think they could be pretty good but they lost a major opportunity to add to their non-conference resume on Friday night against Texas A&M the Aggies they're a really good team they were right there at the top of the SEC to end last season but at the same time, that was a huge opportunity for Ohio State at home against an AM team that was missing their top big man in Julius Marble. Wisconsin, they lost at home to Tennessee, and I know the Vols are really good. They looked like a legitimate top five team that might just be the best offensive team Rick Barnes has had really since the Grant Williams team, Admiral Schofield in 2019, that climbed all the way uh, to number one in the country. So The fact that Wisconsin had them coming into their building, they couldn't find a way to win the game. That's a disappointment. Maryland, a team that many people had ranked in the top 25 entering the season, they had just about as disappointing of a weekend as anyone losing both games in the event they played in to UAB and to Davidson for a team that had really high expectations coming into the season You couldn't have asked for a worse weekend. That uh, event was in Nashville, or excuse me, Asheville, North Carolina uh, at that event. Just very disappointing for Maryland. And when you look at the Big Ten, it's just another weekend filled with missed opportunities. Now, Indiana, they were on the ropes against Army last night. Thank God they found a way to win after it was a very close game throughout the first half. Rutgers already lost a game to Princeton. I know Princeton's really good. But still, it's Princeton as a team in the Big Ten. That's a game you should win more times than not. And when you look at this league, it's pretty frustrating because it's just the same old stuff. I I thought there was a chance maybe this year could be different in terms of Purdue and Michigan State at the top. I felt really good about Ohio State and Wisconsin as kind of surprise teams that could be better than most people realize, and I still think those two teams can be, but losing those games to SEC competition at home in your own building so early in the season, that's got to be pretty frustrating. And Maryland, I mean, the thing about the Terps, right, is I think Kevin Willard could have had about as good of a year one as anyone could have asked for, especially considering just how bad of a position I think this program was in when Mark Turgeon left. And Maryland had some really nice performances early last year. Signature wins that got them into the NCAA tournament. The big win against Purdue is the main one that really stands out. But at the same time, do you guys remember when Maryland hosted UCLA last year and lost by like 40? That game was over within the first five minutes. I just never thought that Maryland really had that high of a ceiling. And I think we've seen that a little bit so far this year. Now they have some younger players like Deshaun Harris, Smith, that I think are only going to get better. But kind of like Michigan State, when you're returning that core group of guys, Jameer Young, uh, Julian Reese, Danta Scott, a couple good young freshmen, plus uh, your head coach and Kevin Willard, I just thought Maryland would have gotten off to a little bit of a better start. And losing to Davidson and UAB, they didn't even play Clemson, right? I, I think when Maryland entered this tournament, right? It was with the expectations of, okay, we're going to play Clemson and see what happens. Clemson is a team that should be in the top half of the ACC that kind of like the Terps returned basically everyone from last year. And they didn't even get to play each other because Maryland lost in the first round to Davidson and then lost to UAB. And UAB is a really good team. I think they're going to be one of the more underrated teams. I think they could compete in the, in the new AAC, but Maryland coming off a loss to Davidson, that would have been, a game you'd like to have and right now you can't put maryland anywhere near the top 25 and in the big picture of the big 10 as crazy as this might sound i think they're closer to the bottom half of the league than the top considering there were there are a couple teams in particular that have played well so far like iowa they haven't played anyone great but they have a nice core group of guys peyton sanfort tony perkins Uh, Those guys are back in school. You also have Northwestern, who had a nice home win over Dayton. That's a team that made the NCAA tournament last year with Boo Booey. They have really good guard play. Brooks Barnheiser is a guy that showed flashes during his freshman year. I think he's only going to get better. He played well on Sunday. And Michigan, who has been the surprise of this league so far, we're going to see them tonight against St. John's, which should be just a heck of a game. But when you look at Maryland, it's been a very disappointing start. And really, when you look at the Big Ten as a whole, it's been a very disappointing start. And they just need to do a much better job taking advantage of these non-conference opportunities. I mean, I know the games are on peacock, but they still played. They they still actually happened. And the fact that both Ohio State and Wisconsin, ironically, two teams that struggled a little bit relative to their expectations last year, they just had major opportunities, kind of like Arizona, what they did, to end last season's narrative right off the bat with a big win and Get big non-conference wins for the league and make a statement. Unfortunately, neither team was able to do that. And it has just been a very disappointing start for the Big Ten, which has to be frustrating considering this drought has just been going on for the last 20 years. And you just got to hope this conference turns things around quickly. There are a couple other noticeable results from over the weekend I wanted to get to specifically on the West Coast between Two programs that have been really good, consistently good over the course of the last few years, but suffered some surprising losses this past weekend. We will start off with Friday night in Provo, Utah, the reigning national runner-up, the San Diego State Aztecs. They dropped a game 74-65 to BYU. And honestly, even though this might have been a surprising loss, by the way, the Aztecs came into this game as the number 17 ranked team in the country in the latest top 25 poll. They are actually unranked. So, this loss dropped San Diego State out of the top 25 entirely. But I don't think this loss should be too concerning for the Aztecs. BYU, you have to remember now, also is in the Big 12. And I actually think they're going to be better than people realize in that league. Fus Traore, one of the more underrated big men in the country, he finished with 12, 8, and 4. They also have a former SEC guard in Jackson Robinson. He played at both Texas AM and Arkansas early. In his career, he had 12 points. He also had Dalen Hall, a guard off the bench, score 18. That building was on fire. So good for BYU for finding a way to get the victory. With San Diego State, it's interesting because last year, even though their offense struggled at times, you felt like they could get by it because their defense was so elite. And part of the reason why that defense was so elite was because of the size they had, right? We just finished talking about Arizona and Kishah Johnson and how big of an impact he made for the Wildcats in their win over Duke Nathan Mensa is a guy that I think they might really miss as that big rim protector in the middle and I love Jaden Wadie right I, I think there's a good chance he could lead this Aztec team in scoring he's so skilled he's so he has such great touch around the rim but when he's your true center I don't know how that fits this Aztec team kind of like Duke right the, the the Aztecs don't have a true rim protector, which is a problem when you're a team that's relying so much on on defense. And, and that could be a concern for the Aztecs going forward with played great in this game. He he had twenty one point seven rebounds, nine to sixteen from the field. But I think he's better at the four opposed to the five. And I'm curious to see if Brian Dutcher has anyone else he could go to uh, in that role. I also think the top of the mountain West might be a little bit better than I thought coming in. I'm a big fan of Boise state and Leon rice this year. They return mostly everyone from a team that made the NCAA tournament last year. They got there the year before as well. Boise state is a very underrated program. And I think this team has a chance to be the best one out of any in the last couple of years. And Nevada had a statement win last night, going on the road to Washington and getting the job done. Nevada, Nevada, Returned both key members of the backcourt that led them to the NCAA tournament a season ago in Jared Lucas and Keevan Blackshear. So, Nevada, watch out for them at the top of the mountain west as well. I don't think San Diego State should be too concerned, but I'm just not entirely sure if their defense is going to be as elite as it's been in years past without a true rim protector. The other game I wanted to get to out west was St. Mary's, and it's crazy, right? I feel like the week St. Mary's had is just vintage college basketball and the fact that whatever we think we know right now, we're just going to be feeling totally different about sooner rather than later because things change in just the snap of a finger. And I think it's important to note as well, St. Mary's in the preseason was voted the West Coast Conference favorites over Gonzaga. Now, I know that St. Mary's is a really good program that has not only made the NCAA tournament, but have won games in the NCAA tournament in each of the last two years. And really, over two decades ago now, when Randy Bennett arrived in Moraga, his program has been very consistent, very underrated, and I do think he deserves a lot of credit. He is one of the more underrated coaches in the game. But St. Mary's, I didn't know how to feel when I first heard that they were voted as the preseason favorite over Gonzaga. But I understood it a little bit, right? Gonzaga lost Drew Timmy from last year. They lost Julian Strather, an NBA player, from last year. They they lost a lot of key pieces. St. Mary's, meanwhile, brings back Mahaney, brings back uh, Saxton, who's one of the better big men uh, in the country. The They bring back Alex Dukas. Like, they had a lot of key players back, but I just felt a little hesitant. Gonzaga's still Gonzaga. Mark Few was still running things. But then I watched St. Mary's a little bit. On Thursday night against New Mexico, who, by the way, that's another team in the Mountain West I didn't mention because they looked so bad in that St. Mary's game. But New Mexico, that's a team that almost made the NCAA tournament last year. House and Mashburn might be the best one-two guard combo. Not the best, but one of the better ones in the country. And even though House didn't play, St. Mary's dominated New Mexico really from start to finish on Thursday night. The Gales ended up winning that game 72-58. to uh, outscored them 40 to 25 in the first half aiden mahaney the sophomore guard who was very good as a freshman scored 25 points he was phenomenal and then on sunday night st mary's plays weber state at home and weber state by the way they have one of the better players in the country that not everyone knows about his name's dylan jones he is a 6-6 forward kind of that combo forward mixed and he played phenomenal against saint mary's on sunday he played all 40 minutes had 29 and 10 on 11 of 20 from the field and two of four from three he went off for weber state and they went into moraga and beat saint mary's 61 57 and how about this saint mary's was winning by 11 at halftime weber state outscores them 35 to 20 in the second half in the victory and these are the games why it's hard to elevate St. Mary's. Like I, I respect Randy Benton as a coach. I respect their program. I think they're underrated. They're good, but I just don't know if they have any upside. I don't know if they could reach the ceiling that they ultimately want to get to, because every time I either watch them against great competition or I put full belief in them, they just find a way to let me down a little bit. And unlike San Diego state, It's frustrating for St. Mary's to lose a game like this, especially after they played so well against New Mexico. And right before the NCAA tournament last year, it's crazy. I remember watching this game specifically. It was St. Mary's against Gonzaga in the WCC title game. And keep in mind, Gonzaga last year, even though they were good, they were not the Gonzaga team that we saw the last couple of years prior with Drew Timmy and Jalen Suggs and Andrew Nebhart and Chet Holmgren that were getting to Final Fours. And, Getting number one overall seeds in the NCAA tournament. And Gonzaga beat them 77-51 to 51 last year in the WCC Conference Championship game. They just demolished them. And I just want to see St. Mary's play better against the top-notch competition. Uh, it's funny because St. Mary's and San Diego State will actually play each other this Friday. That game is, let's see, it's going to be in Las Vegas, a neutral court game. St. Mary's also is going to play Boise. Looking forward to that one, that is a true road game in in uh, Idaho, Boise, Idaho. So Idaho Falls, actually, I should say. So that's not going to be an easy game. St. Mary's will also play Utah, who we haven't really seen them play anyone yet out of the Pac-12. But in their first two bye games, Utah has looked very good against Eastern Washington and UC Riverside. It's crazy, too. We have Feast Week starting up uh, this week. We have a couple MTEs, which are going to be good that Utah is actually going to be competing. And they'll take on Wake Forest on the opening night of that event, which should be good. That is, uh, let's see here, the Charleston uh, Invitational, I believe. Yeah, the Charleston Invitational, that should be good. But, man, when you look at St. Mary's, especially after how well they played against New Mexico on Thursday night, that's just a brutal, brutal loss to take to Weber State. So two teams that are kind of similar, San Diego State and St. Mary's, consistently great programs on the West Coast that were ranked in the top 25 entering this season. Each of them had a pretty disappointing loss for San Diego state. I'm not panicking. I actually think BYU is better than most people realize that uh, Marriott arena is a very difficult place to play. And the Aztecs, this is a team that made it all the way to the national championship game last year. I think it's going to take them a little bit of time to adjust losing everything they did. I'm not entirely sure if they're going to be as good as they've been in the past on the defensive side of the floor, but I still think they will be right there uh, at the end of the day. St. Mary's though, I thought maybe this could be the year where they take that next step. They were voted as the preseason WCC conference favorite over Gonzaga, but then losing to Weber state at home, blowing an 11 point halftime lead the way that they did. It doesn't give me a ton of faith in their long-term upside. Before we wrap today's show, I wanted to give you guys some games to watch this week. It is just so great to have college basketball back and that starts tonight, Monday night with Rick Patino's first game as St. John's head coach at Madison Square Garden against Michigan. The Michigan team, by the way, I mentioned this briefly earlier in the show today when we were talking about the Big Ten. The Wolverines have been probably the league's biggest surprise throughout the first two games. They've put up 99 and 92 points, and this is without their head coach, Jawan Howard. We hope he's feeling better and is back on the sideline as soon as possible. Uh, after undergoing heart surgery. But Phil Martelli has been coaching this team, and he's done a great job. This is a former coach of St. Jones that has been coaching basketball for a really long time, ton kind of experience, one of the better assistant coaches in the country. And the fact that you have a guy like him to step in and coach this team without Jawan Howard is really, really helpful. And Michigan, they've shot the absolute crap out of the ball in their first two games, and they're going to play St. John's, a Red Storm team that looked pretty good in their opening game last week against Stony Brook. The Michigan roster is interesting, too. I know there was a lot of frustration this past offseason when they lost Hunter Dickinson to the transfer portal. It looked like Caleb Love was going to be coming there for a second. It didn't work out. Everyone you hear from says that was for academic reasons, which I guess makes sense with Michigan. And still, their roster wasn't bad. Like They brought back Doug McDaniel, who was a young point guard that played really well, much better than expected a season ago. They also bring in a couple of nice transfers in Olivier Comois from Tennessee, who was their leading scorer in their signature NCAA tournament victory last year over Duke. Uh, Trey Jackson from Seton Hall is a player I like a lot. Namari Burnett is a former top 20 recruit way back in the day. has been to a couple of schools, but this could be a spot for him. Taurus Reed, their big man, is another former top recruit. Terrence Williams has played pretty well in that power forward role. You could see how much he worked on his shot throughout the offseason he's been making threes um this michigan team they have some guys and and they're better than i think a lot of people expected going into the season and i'm very curious to see how they play tonight at madison square garden in this environment against st john's that will be monday night in the gavit games you also will have purdue and xavier going at it tonight at mackey arena that's gonna be an interesting one xavier is They're just a team decimated by injuries. I don't think they've played particularly – they've been all right. I I mean, like, they've played okay in their first couple games, but they're missing Zach Fremantle. They're missing Jerome Hunter. It doesn't look likely that either of those two guys are going to be back anytime soon. I do like their trio of guards, Desmond Claude, Davion McKnight, and Quincy Oliveri a lot, but I'm just not sure if they have enough in the front court, and I think it's also important to remember just how much this team lost from last year in – Sue Boom, Kobe Jones, Jack Nunji, and Adam Kunkel, plus no Hunter and Fremantle right now, I feel for Sean Miller. His team is a little shorthanded, and that's just a brutal spot to go into tonight against Purdue. Tomorrow night, though, we have a ton of great games. We will have the Champions Classic, Michigan State, and Duke. Both of those teams have a loss coming into that game, so it's going to be fascinating that coming out of the first game of the Champions Classic tomorrow, either Michigan State or Duke, We'll have two losses, not something I expected many had on their bingo card. And then Kentucky and Kansas. I've been impressed with Kentucky in their first couple games. You worry a lot with teams built primarily around freshmen about their adjustments so early on in the season. But I'm looking forward to seeing this team against Kansas tomorrow. I think it could be a good matchup considering, aside from Hunter Dickinson, like Kansas doesn't really have a ton of size, and Kentucky is still having – those front court injuries they're having to deal with without uh, Ugano and Yenso, without uh, Bradshaw. So Kentucky, I'm curious to see how they play tomorrow. They haven't won in the Champions Classic in a couple of years now. So I'm curious to see if Calipari could take care of that. We also have Marquette and Illinois in the Gavit games. Those two teams played in Marquette a few years ago when Illinois, they had Kofi Coburn, all these high expectations. And Marquette was able to win that one. I'm curious to see how that goes. Uh, a couple other really good games this week. Wisconsin and Providence, that is going to be on Tuesday night. Creighton and Iowa, also on Tuesday night. I'm looking forward to that one. I think both teams, that could just be a shootout. And then at the end of the week, we have some of these MTE starting up. We'll have Maryland-Villanova on Friday night. We'll have San Diego State and St. Mary's. That should be really good. And then a week uh, on Sunday, the 19th, a week from yesterday, we'll have uconn and indiana at msg we'll have texas and louisville uh, louisville by the way lost to chattanooga on friday night so even though they won their first game unfortunately kenny Payne was not able to keep the momentum rolling after that uh nice win over umbc to start off the season but man i'm not trying to talk about louisville right now it's been a great show with you guys always enjoyed talking college basketball it's great to have this sport back and keep an eye out on your podcast feed throughout the week As we will be talking and breaking down it all. Thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to you soon.